Minds, it's Friday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History, a twist of psych. So hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. As always, I am joined by Dr. Sherry Valensic as we continue to prepare for the Battle Royale by putting everyone on the same level playing field. Last week, I examined George Washington for the first time on the piece of shit curve, and this time we're taking a look at the mind behind the great mind as we evaluate him on a twist of psych. So how are you doing tonight, Sherry? Oh, I'm just living the dreams. It's <laughs> so great to be a teacher in the middle of a pandemic, let me tell you. It's a shit show. Uh, <laughs> but we love the kids, and that's all that matters, I suppose. I suppose. I suppose. I suppose. All right, so it's been a while since we've recorded. Uh, I guess it's only been a month, but I'm glad to be back and recording Twist of Psych. Um, but it is time to grab a drink. Uh, but before we talk about, um, what are you drinking tonight, Cherry? So in honor of the man, the myth, and the legend, mostly the myth, uh, I am uh, pulling out one of my my old favorites. I think I have three inches left, so uh, I'm drinking uh, Black Cherry F and Vodka. Um, back about 15 to 20 years ago, this was my go-to beverage, and uh, so I have a, a lovely concoction of it with a little splash of some kind of crayon juice that was in the fridge and uh, some Cointro, um, and it's quite tasty. So I, I can definitely use an adult beverage after the day I had today, so I'm enjoying it. And George Washington's the F and man. Who may or may not have cut down the cherry. Ah, yes. The That's chair. the thing. Oh, the chair. I see what you're saying. Absolutely. Well, I went with, oh, wait, well, I guess I have a vegetable. I guess you went with a fruit. <laughs> went with a vegetable. Either way, I went with um, Kentucky Pumpkin Barrel Ale, uh, which is my favorite pumpkin ale that is, comes out at this time of year. There's two reasons. Uh, one, three. Three, actually, it turns out. One, uh, my shot will be from Tennessee and my beer from Kentucky because those are the two slave states that George Washington admitted into the Union, or at least as territories, I should say. Slave territories. I'd have to double check. I think it was territories. But also because I really wanted a pumpkin barrel ale and I needed a reason to drink one. But then I got curious. Does it fit better than that? And it turns out that the first pumpkin beer that was produced for commercialization was done in the 1980s based on recipes from the 1770s. And guess what? George Washington himself made the recipe that they based their original pumpkin ale off of using pumpkins from his own garden to brew pumpkin ale. How about that shit? Uh, that's pretty impressive. I just... Don't you feel a bit odd drinking pumpkin ale because it is it is technically still summer. Well, tornadoes are catching on fire around us, so I think if I'm going to enjoy a pumpkin beer, I better do it while I still can because this year fucking sucks. Um, I promised myself I'd cool down on the the f word a little bit, but you know what? Who gives a fuck? Uh, sometimes it's just what it's, it's what you need. So I'll talk shot later, but I have a eighty eighty eight percent. 88%, yes. That is so great. I love that. A little, yeah, oh. So so for for the listeners, in case they want to know the inside joke, um, I found a, a, uh, a graphic that I sent Zach a while ago, and uh, it indicates what thought process is during the day during COVID, and 44% uh, of the day is spent thinking the word um, saying that it's actually double that at this point in time. So, uh, anyways, <laughs> I don't know. Well, Comey please got eleven percent. That, that might be a little higher these days. Well, what's wrong with that chart is nothing says I need a drink. Oh. What happened to I need a drink? You know. <laughs> so I, uh, that is true. 
So perhaps we need to redesign the chart. Uh, let's give it another week. Um, you know, I always, I have mentioned this to several people. Um, so when we were on lockdown and, and everybody, Zach made this prophetic statement that he couldn't wait to go back to work, have a little stress in his life so he could really enjoy the weekend. Uh, so I did pop into him last week and said, so how does this feel? Um, because I don't think that any teacher um, who is physically teaching students um, or perhaps even the teachers who are doing remotes never quite understood uh, what we were signing up for uh, with teaching in a pandemic. But it has definitely been different and interesting. Yeah, that stress can just no. I was I was fucking wrong. Okay, I did. It's been miserable. I mean, I'm not one of those teachers to break down, and there are plenty out there that do. But I was on the verge of losing my mind, and I probably have it easier than most. Uh, you know, I mean. I don't know. I, I, I never thought that wearing I never thought that wearing the mask all day was going to be the easiest part of the job. But it truly it's the easiest is. part. It is for sure. Uh, but it's time to talk George Washington on a twist of psych. But first, and Sherry, I'm assuming you don't want to sing. No, I never sing. Uh, I don't want to gonna... hear me sing. <laughs> well, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. So before we talk psych and GW, I want to clear up a small error on my part. On over two episodes, uh, I made this error. Uh, not over two episodes. On two episodes, I made this error. I called George Washington a, quote, stereotypical 17th century Virginian. In two episodes, I read that word for word, full well knowing it was wrong, totally wrong, and Sherry finally caught it. Of course, Washington was a man of the 1700s or the 18th century. So I asked Sherry, how is it that I can read something several times that I know deep down is wrong. I mean, this is something I tell my students all the time. No, that's not what you say. Or I'll say he was born in 1761, which is one century, just to get sure, make sure they don't get it wrong. But I still just read it and didn't catch it. So Sherry, is there something to that? Is there like a psychological term for my stupidity or what? <laughs> well, you were trying to dovetail me into telling you that it was inattentional blindness, but I actually just think it has more to do with the rate of your neural transmissions in your brain. <laughs> to do with anything else. But the idea of inattentional blindness is that you don't pay attention to something and, and don't notice it. Um, I do this with my students every year that I ask them what is on the front of my classroom door that they pass for 160 days and they can never, never think of what's on there. So that could be it. But I just think that you are a, a fast talker and a fast thinker and it just doesn't phase you. Um, but I, I also want to say that I don't think I called you out. I believe that I gently texted you my thoughts when I re-listened to the episode. Well, I'm glad you did because I missed it twice and literally copy and pasted it from the original script into the new script for the twi uh, for the piece of shit curve uh, rating and I still screwed it up. So it made me well, laugh. Thank and thanks well, thankfully during 2020 though, nobody's keeping track of any time, so I'm not quite sure it even matters. Well, and also, you know, I guess it's just like I trust myself more than anybody I trust anybody else. So I just was like, I must be right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no. Because so, you are your grace, King yeah, Debat. So yeah. all right. So Sherry, uh, what are you thinking for tonight? George Washington Twist to Psych, one of our first greats, uh, actually the second great I covered, and he was the last great to uh, predate the Twist of Psych episode. So what are you thinking? So I, I have to, I guess, put a disclaimer out there that I don't find much fault with Washington because I think he was he was such a great, and I, I certainly don't know enough about him personally. But I 
tended to look at things more positively when I was trying to figure out what I thought I could bring up for Washington. And I think what impresses me most about Washington was just the the years and years of public service that he gave um, to his state and to his country. And so I have a couple different thoughts, but they're definitely not, not dark psych topics. They're more positive. So um, my first idea was kind of talking about the idea of self-efficacy, self-efficacy Albert Bandura, who is largely considered probably the greatest living psychologist. He's 95 years old, professor emeritus at Stanford University. He coined the phrase back in the 1970s, and it's the idea of envisioning yourself being successful. And I think I think the more I attend is even when he had unsuccessful campaigns or he had issues that caused him failure, he has great vision that he would bring himself or other people to success. And so that's the idea of self-efficacy. It's how, how well you envision yourself being able to succeed in a task. And I think that that was something uh, that he had as part of his personality. And I certainly think you're right. Uh, you know, Washington just kind of, you know, he served, I had to look it up real quick. He was born in 1732. And from really the 1750s on, if not earlier, he was serving whether it be colonial government or his government in some way or another. And, you know, in his younger years, obviously didn't have the vision he did in, in the revolutionary period. But what's interesting is, and I think it really reaffirms kind of what you're saying about George Washington looking at him in a positive light, is this idea that he did that for the revolution. He believed that he could make a difference in the revolution. He served the revolution and stepped down. And then when his country needed him again, he came back. But didn't, didn't he have battles that were failures? And, oh, yes. and yeah, So I, I think that's the idea, too, is that every failure, oftentimes people retreat or they just concede and give up. And I, I don't see Washington having done that, including when then he was called to the great service uh, when he was asked to consider being president of the new nation. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that is an inherent personality characteristic um, that is, I think, something that that is partly what you're born with and partly your experiences help you develop that. But I definitely see that perhaps as being what motivated Washington um, to continue to plod forward, bringing himself and other people to whatever the next step was, whether it was winning a battle or um, or having a successful campaign or Keeping then the creating kind of thing like that too. Like even when he lost, you said retreat and he would retreat and learn, not retreat and give up. And that's kind of what you're talking about there. But, but I think it's because he always envisioned that he would eventually succeed. Even mm -hmm. though he had drawbacks, um, he doggedly would plan again, um, what I'm looking for, collaborate with other people mm -hmm. yes. and move the next step forward. So I think if somebody didn't have self-efficacy and I think Washington had it over a long period of time, that he would have never continued to take all the steps that it took him over the life of his public service, eventually get to the presidency, and then to also move the presidency forward during his term in office. So see, efficacy for me, the only time I've ever really encountered that word was when I taught government. Uh, and it was like voter efficacy, the idea that your vote matters. You know, for, for me, who doesn't necessarily understand the psychological piece behind it. So basically, 
and correct me if I'm wrong here, so this is like George Washington believing that George Washington in the end matters and would be successful. That, that he has the ability to steer that success, and that's what self-efficacy is. Um, you know, you go into a challenge that is very difficult, and if you don't think that you can do it, that likely is going to affect your behavior. But if you always have the self-belief that you are going to be able to accomplish that, even if it's taking you um, a longer period of time, or you uh, face failures on your way there, always kind of, you know, doggedly nudging at it to be able to get to that success. That's what self-efficacy is. Okay. Yeah. And he definitely did that because, you know, not only was he a flawed man uh, from a historical perspective, from a human nature perspective, you know, he certainly with owning slaves, the mistreatment of Native Americans, and just being, you know, kind of a representation of the patriarchy, he had his flaws. He was also a, you know, as successful a military commander we'd like to think of him to be, he also had so many failings in the revolution, but this idea that he just was always willing to keep going. I, I never really thought about that side of it. Obviously, I, I didn't really know about it, uh, which is kind of the glory of Twist of Sight, because that I don't know much about it. So uh, anything else that you wanted to add on uh, George Washington? Um, no, I just think, I think to me, that's an admirable quality. It clearly struck me as I listen to all the events that you um, offered in the podcast, and especially when, again, you mentioned failures, um, you know, he just didn't slink back or retire. Um, he continued to offer himself moving forward, and I, I think that was an admirable characteristic of anybody, but uh, Washington especially. So is there anything to being the first? You know, I, I, I often think about this because we cover a lot of people who are pioneers in their kind of, like, role. I think about these people who do things for the first time, and Washington was pioneering in his role. Is there something to that? I think what separates, at least in my mind, Washington from other firsts is that Washington reluctantly became, and he only became the first because he was repeatedly asked to do that. And I think that when I think of Washington as accepting that role of being president of the United States, um, I think he did it for another term and concept that we cover in intro to psychology classes, and that's what's called altruism, mm -hmm. um, that he had um, an unselfish uh, care for the welfare of others. And in this case, it was the welfare of this new burgeoning country. And so at least my take on Washington's ascension to the presidency um, was that he did it out of love for the country, not necessarily um, as a moniker for himself. And I think that, or for himself. And I think that what's testament to that is the fact that he did his time and then decided uh, that his time was over and stepped down. Um, other people who are the first tend to uh, carry that out as long as possible because it becomes um, an ego identifier for them. I, um, think I, really do... yes. I always think of Oliver Cromwell as kind of a hundred years earlier, but a point of contrast to seize power and then fought against kingship, seized power, and then essentially became king in all but name. And Washington could have done that too, but he's often referred to as this American Cincinnatus where he stepped down from power. So uh, what about that side of it? You're kind of leaning towards it then already, and I kind of wanted to pop in. Well, and I think that, I think Washington realized what his, um, what his purpose was, and I think he also accepted why he was the person who was asked to do that job. And I think once he had done that job and started the presidency on its way, had, in my mind, the good sense um, to step down when, when he was done and pass that on. And sometimes people um, have difficulty passing on something that 
um, become such a big part of them onto somebody else like legacy. And I think that Washington just knew that his time was done. And, and honestly, I, I think Washington was tired. And so I think he um, altruistically agreed to be president of the United States. Um, he did his time and then um, it was also his time to step down. And so I think that's something also uh, to be admired. And, and I think he definitely did go out on a high note. You know, I think he was a humble man. I think that he did, uh, he was like all humans, uh, a little vain uh, in the sense that when things in his presidency started to get a little rockier, he decided that he didn't want to do it anymore, that that wasn't the president he wanted to be remembered as. And you know what? He did exactly what I would do in his situation. He went home and he started brewing beer and whiskey and having a few parties. And But I, you know what? I don't know if that's vanity. Or right intelligence? Yes. I mean, I credit it more to it takes a, it takes a big person to realize when their, when their time is done. And I, I think he had the good sense to do that. I think I, I 100% agree with you. You know, when I teach Washington, and that's one thing I love about this show is, you know, I'm not a formal PhD historian. You always tell us that you're not a formal like psychiatrist, uh, but we represent a what? I'm not even a psychologist. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a, you have the a humble that. teacher of psychology who happens to have a doctoral degree in another so. on this show. Everybody that's ever been on this show represents one unique perspective, and I think I, you know I, I've I've called it the bedrock of society and civilization: teachers. Uh, it's the truth. Um, you know, we represent a unique perspective because we engage in this content uh, in a way that a lot of people uh, don't get to. Uh, we teach it to young learners, and that's that's something. It takes an ability to do that, and we get to appreciate these characters, these issues, in a way that maybe people who are in the field of who are in academia get to gloss over. Uh, and that's a hard thing to do, and I think it's important. But I often teach Washington uh, as a man who always knew when to retreat, and I don't mean run away. I mean who knew when it was time to step back reevaluate the situation and make a new move in a different direction, whether it be after the defeat at New York, whether it be listening to the French army uh, commanders who were more advanced, uh, more intelligent in terms of military strategy than him, like the Comte de Rochambeau, the Marquis de Lafayette, whoever, uh, and attack at Yorktown, uh, or beyond that, uh, stepping down as president in that great Cincinnatus moment. I think that um, he, he really had that ability. And I agree with you, maybe it's not vanity. Maybe he wasn't running away from failure and trying to save his legacy as much as he was intelligent to see that it was time to move on. I also think that Washington can be credited with having a fair amount of self-awareness and I think that he he also knew what his limitations were. But, um, you know, I think that he was maybe just physically tired as well. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and you have to be in the public eye, and especially with as much fanfare as Washington got, um, it's emotionally exhausting as well. And so I, I'd like to think that he was just physically, mentally, emotionally spent and uh, just, just needed some quiet time um, as he lived the rest of his life. And he didn't get a lot uh, because... Uh, after stepping down in 1797, after a brief stint of returning to quote-unquote command the military, which Hamilton basically did during the Adams administration, uh, he died in 1799, uh, you know, at the very end of 1799. So, um, you know, he, he pretty much was a public servant for all of his adult life, and I'm sure he was exhausted. And again, I think it is to his credit that he took the office of president um, when clearly he probably didn't want that, um, did his time, and then um, was willing to step back and let somebody else take the reins. And so that's what I think about that. Absolutely. And I love it. Well, um, that wraps up our quick analysis of George Washington. Uh, so this will be the last twist of psych of season one. And uh, all right. So what are you doing a shot of tonight, Sherry? Uh, well, I'm sticking with my Blackberry Evan Vodka. Because 
George Washington's effing awesome. <laughs> I am also sticking with the uh, twist thing I just drank for a uh, rating him on the piece of shit curve, which is actually, I have to say right this time, Lone Hand Whiskey, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Pretty good. Is a quote on it that says, it ain't about the losing, the winning, or the draw. Don't know what the fuck that means. Uh, but <laughs> it's about the was it just something you- uh, I love to try super affordable drinks that have decent reputations. Um, this was told, this was uh, to me, suggested to me as, quote, being dangerous. I think it's a fantastic whiskey for mixing. It's cheaper than Jack Daniels, different than Jack Daniels, but it's, it's, it's good. And it's out of Tennessee. So that's where the Tennessee comes from for my Kentucky-Tennessee thing, because that was brought up in the... Uh, Washington episode. Uh, plus, it says U.S. Badlands on it in America. I don't know. But uh, so I'm doing a shot of whiskey. Plus, you know, Whiskey Rebellion, George Washington brewed some whiskey. I don't think he drank much whiskey. Uh, but you know what? The the highlight of my night was learning that pumpkin ales have a connection to George Washington. And to me, that makes it all worthwhile. Cheers to a great season of Twist of Psych. In October, as for Sherry's birthday, we decide to, or we're going to evaluate Sigmund Freud uh, on a special episode of A Twist of Psych as a great mind, kind of a hybrid episode where we talk about the history and the psychology uh, that he kind of created and pioneered. So that's going to be fun. And, and be sure to um, support the show uh, by joining my Patreon page, where you can find bonus content starting in October, uh, where we'll examine everything from war dogs to inoculation, and then a bunch of other shit along the way. But uh, cheers to you, Sherry. Thanks for coming cheers on. Cheers to that. Yep. All right. Salute. What was the toast back in the 18th century? What would they toast like when they were drinking in the pubs and taverns? I mean, we could always say, raise a glass to freedom. Oh. <laughs> they never take away. Toasting. George Washington's Mount Vernon. I feel like using Mount Vernon as the source for this is going to be what we're going to do. Oh, they did. In many cases, Riffler's drank a total of 13 toasts. 13 To the Continental Congress, to our European allies. They just uh, raised their glass in memorial to somebody or something? Oh, this was a fun toast. Here we go. A poet in Boston put his toast to verse, asking his readers, whatever they gathered, to drink around each other's health and to pray don't forget the soldiers bold with Washington the brave. Health to his honor I'd freely drink. Had I a glass of wine and whoever with me shall think may mix their toast with mine. Ah, so that's fun. Well, drink, drinking to health, that, that's a hell of a mouthful these days, so. Or we're drinking because of health or something. But that one had Washington in it, so what the hell. And there's a whole page on it that I am definitely going to read the rest of at another point. Encyclopedia of Historic Toast? Or what are you no, consulting there? Mount Vernon uh, published Toast of the 18th Century. A bunch of them are revolutionary toast, which is kind of fascinating, and I really want to look into it. Um, but hey, whatever. I said it. I quoted it. Mount Vernon. Credit to you. Thank you. I'm not getting in trouble. Cheers!